Welcome everyone to the latest episode of Hailing Frequencies Open. My name is David and I'm joined by my fabulous co-host Carrie. Hey everyone. And our new co-host, Miss Mel. Hello, Mel. Hi. This is how this podcast is going to be going forward. Uh, we're very excited that Mel has finally agreed to join us. Uh, Mel, because we did this in the first episode, tell everybody a little bit about your Star Trek fandom. Okay, my Star Trek fandom started with um, Star Trek The Next Generation. When I, I mean, I was a kid, I don't know when it, basically when it started. Um, I don't know if I had heard of the original series, I'm sure it was somewhere in my lexicon, but um, pretty much after Star Wars, anything space related was something that I wanted to watch and be involved in. Mm. And um, so I started watching it as a kid. And I remember that was really the first show that I watched as appointment television on my own. Um, you know, all the other shows were like Cosby Show and any other kind of family shows that family watched together, but Star Trek was the show that I I watched and got into on my own. And um, from then, Star Trek was that, uh, Next Generation was actually the only series that I watched start to finish all the way through. All the others, I, except for um, no all of them I watched at least half of season and then I ex oh except for Voyager because I can't I couldn't stand Janeway's voice it, <laughs> her voice is very particular so I think I lasted a couple of episodes and then I was like mm, I can't do this anymore because this lady talks to but after that, all other series after Next Generation, I watched at least half a season. Sometimes more, sometimes less. It just depended. That's unfortunate because that means you watched half of Enterprise. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, which is not a dig at Scott Bakula per se, but um you i don't know if you heard in an earlier episode me carrie and i were talking about what we were going to review and i line in the sand was like i am not reviewing enterprise yeah. so you hate it he I hates hate it. it okay it's and it's the writing for me um the cast is fine like i don't have a problem with what the cast is doing but the way the episodes are written it's just not, the quality is, it's much like the original series. For every one good episode, they have 10 that are terrible. And <laughs> well, I have a problem with what the cast does. <laughs> um, but that's me. But yeah, so um, you never finished Deep Space Nine? Me? No, I actually, um, a few weeks ago, I started watching it, and I realized that I don't remember anything about <laughs> it. Like, nothing. I didn't remember any of what was happening. Um, I, I remember the K 
characters, but as mm-hmm. far as plot stuff, I had no idea what was going on. And um, so I think I got like four or five episodes in a few weeks ago, and then I stopped um, watching it just because I have a hundred different shows I'm trying to watch. But yeah, so no, I. No, yeah, no, I didn't get very, very far in Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine. Although I remember being excited about Deep Space Nine because O'Brien was transferring to Deep Space Nine. Right. So, to me, Deep Space Nine has the probably for me the best captain of any of the series. Um, Picard's a Picard's a one A for me, Um, (laughs) but. Yeah, that's that's for down the line if, if and when we get to Deep Space Nine. Um, so let's do a little bit of backstory on this. So uh, essentially, the reason this movie got made was because of Star Wars. That's right. <laughs> uh, Paramount saw the worldwide phenomenon that Star Wars was, and they're like, "Do we have a science fiction property? We do. Great, let's make one." Uh, and at the time, they had this huge. Uh, star-studded press conference where they announced it was going to be this big feature and it was going to cost 15 million dollars in 1978 money. Nine. Extrapolate that to now and it's five billion. But (laughs) um, (laughs) there were a lot of air, there was a lot of issues getting it from that point to the screen. So ultimately it costs 44 million dollars to make. Um, which now I think the budget would be right around a hundred million if you do inflation. Um, right. it made about $139 million worldwide. So, I mean, it made, made money, but only just, um, which they then cut the budget for Wrath of Khan, which we'll talk about then, um, because they're like, we still want to make them. People obviously came and watched it, but we don't want to spend all of the money to make these. Um, so this film opens with... Uh, Klingons. Well, no. Oh, actually. It opens with a musical score. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that was so and a half of, mu- of fanfare over a dark screen. Yes! <laughs> I thought I was having, like, something was wrong with my eyes I say like, okay hear the music where's shouldn't like credits be coming up or I I thought my tv broke yeah I I was yeah I was freaking out a little bit I totally mine, forgot about that a friend of mine who watched it he actually went in and was adjusting the settings on his tv to try and make the picture come back um, <laughs> Apparently, this is very common in older films. There'd be a score, although generally it wasn't over a dark screen. No, you would get um, some kind of picture background. I will say yeah. initially, uh, Jerry Goldsmith's score for this movie is very good. Yeah. Well, it is very good because they use it for Next Gen, the opening <laughs> theme music. But his his score throughout the movie, though, is very solid and very fun and, well, not fun, but it adequately conveys what is happening. Right. Uh, there are three Klingon 
worships uh, going towards a 1995 Microsoft screensaver. Um, oh my God, that is what it looks like. <laughs> I liked it. I'm not saying for. I thought for 1979, it looked pretty darn good. It, it does. But also remember when we're watching it now, um, it's had its effects updated. Oh. Yeah, oh, so, all the, so, so my box set here, it's digitally remastered. Yeah, so Next Generation and the original series, all their movies and the shows have all been digitally remastered and all the effects have been updated. So it doesn't look quite as, as it did then. Gotcha. It's cleaner. Um, one of the Klingons is played by Mark Leonard. Mm -hmm. uh, you will know him better as Spock's dad. Yay. Uh-oh. Uh we lost her. Sorry. There she is. Uh, <laughs> Mel, you haven't met him as Spock's dad, but he's the only person that I recognize as Spock's dad. Sarek. Yeah. Right. Everybody else that's played Sarek is terrible. You and I have talked about this separately when we talked about Discovery. Um, yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, these Klingons, um, this is also the first time that the Klingons had the head ridges. Uh, in yes. the original series, Mel, the reason that you know that they're Klingons is that they had pointy eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Okay. That actually makes a lot of sense. And because of the... I remember seeing Into Darkness. Mm-hmm. And they... I think it was Into Darkness. They go to um, Klingon homeworld. And I did uh -huh. not recognize those guys as Klingons because they didn't have riches. I was very confused in the movie theater, but that actually mm -hmm. makes sense now. Yeah. Because I'm There's like, these line. guys have ridges, but okay. There's a great line in a Deep Space Nine episode where they do the Trouble with Tribbles crossover, and yes. they're Klingons in that episode, and Worf, they, everyone looks at Worf, and they're like, what the hell? And he goes, we don't like to talk about it which I thought was very funny, which implies that something happened between then and then to make this happen. Um, yeah. I'm not really I don't know what. No, ever... there's no like certainty as to how that happened. My theory is that it's like some kind of genetic mutation slash allergic reaction to the triples. Because in a different episode, I think of DS9 as well, or the same episode. Uh, Worf says that the Tribbles are their greatest enemy. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's weird for a Klingon to say that a ball of fluff is your greatest enemy, yeah. but here we are. Yeah. Though, so anyway, this scene, in my opinion, takes way too long. Um, the Klingons, after figuring out they can't do anything, they shoot it, which is, you know... The Klingon the way. Uh, they all get annihilated um, very quickly. Uh, Mel, thoughts on this opening scene? I actually liked the opening scene. It was way too long, but I felt like 
it was trying to build up the drama and the uncertainty of what was going on. Um, I liked hearing the Klingon language. Mm -hmm. That was cool. Um, and I did like the, <laughs> I wrote it in my notes as the, <laughs> the emperor finger lightning bolt destroying them. Um, <laughs> I thought that was actually like, yeah, exactly. Watching it, I thought, okay. My initial thought was this only got greenlit because of Star Wars, which clearly is true. And then I saw that and I was like, and now they're using Star Wars effects. It didn't diminish it for me, but I found it very interesting that how they were trying to edit that in. But I actually liked the opening scene. It could have done with maybe two and a half minutes cut off, but I thought to set up the dangerousness of this cloud, that was pretty good. I totally can understand that. Carrie, do you have anything to add for this opening few moments of this? Ah, uh, sure. Uh, just the initial thoughts, uh, the opening scene. I mean, yeah, I love Klingons. And it was, I th this, I believe, this movie is like the first time you actually hear like full Klingon dialect. Um, according to what I was reading on IMDb, but I was like, I don't think that's necessarily true. But in the movie, this is first movie that you hear the Klingon Fair language. Enough. And there was like another, um, so all of that is happening. And then it cuts to a scene of uh, Spock on Vulcan going through uh, the Kolinar, but that he doesn't complete it because he senses that disturb. <laughs> I'm going to use Star Wars reference, the disturbance in the force. It kind of feels that way. Yeah, he can sense that. And then he's like, well, um, I have a new job to do. So I'm going to put this colonar on hold and go rejoin the Enterprise. I like that scene because that was also the first time I ever heard Vulcan spoken. I don't True. think I I don't think I've heard it actually spoken before. Um, so that actually caught me off guard, but I liked it. The only thing I didn't like about that scene was um, Fox hair. Yeah. It's very 70s. Oh, oh yeah. There's very so many like seventies things in this in this movie that we will discuss. <laughs> So after I so the only thing I have to say to add to that is I appreciated seeing Vulcan for the mm -hmm. first time because they never showed it in the original series and it was kind of cool to see where the Vulcans came from. Um, I also appreciate the fact that when we've seen Vulcan since they've kept that aesthetic mm -hmm. every time. So perfect. I love continuity. Yay. We then go to. Uh, I'm guessing Starfleet Command. San Francisco, um, yeah. You see the Golden Gate Bridge as they're yeah. coming in on the shuttle. And we cut to Admiral Kirk talking to uh, Commander Sonic, another Vulcan. Uh, very impressed. We have seen two aliens already. Yes, ma'am. 
I, I question who thought it was a good idea to make him an admiral. Oh, <laughs> uh, I've, I've wondered this for a long time, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, he, I don't know, but in like later scenes, he mentions that um, it's only been a few years, maybe five years, and all of a sudden he's an admiral. And then I'm like, no, in reality time, it's been 10 years since, you know, the end of the series and this first movie, because right. we can tell. Um, also, just based off of his actions in this movie, he should never have been promoted. No. no. Oh my no. God. No. He's... He should. He shouldn't even be like anywhere near Starfleet Command or the Academy. Yeah, no, he's such no. an ass in this movie. We should have sent him back to Iowa. Go back. Go back to Iowa. Go back to the farm. So, in this sequence. Um, Kirk tells Commander Sonic uh, <clears throat> he's going to go have a meeting with Admiral Nagura, uh, which will take, what did he say, two minutes, five minutes, something like that. Yeah. Um, and for him to report to him on the Enterprise. Sonic is confused because he's not in charge of the Enterprise, but whatever. Captain Decker is. Right. Um, so we then cut to we don't see that meeting, um, but we do then see uh, Kirk run into Scotty mm -hmm. because the Enterprise's transporters don't work. Right. So they need to, he has to take him by shuttle. Uh, he tells him they gave him back to me. He's really excited. Scotty knowingly says, they didn't just give him back to you. You browbeat them to do it. Mm -hmm. um, then comes my least favorite light scene in this because this scene goes fucking forever. It is the slow, real-time flight from Earth to the ship. This had to take at least 15 minutes and they had to show us every angle of the ship. <laughs> because well, yes, because going, it's all shiny and new again. Because instead of just going straight in, landing and getting off, they're like, let's go on a pleasure cruise and look around the entire and just, and also Shatner and Dewin are just standing inside of this shuttle just like, uh, and I'm like, what is wrong? Like, this is. Okay. For me, I love a full length shot of the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. I love it when they pan around it. I love it when it's, it's sitting in dock and being worked on and beautiful and shiny. And for me, as much as you didn't like the scene, I loved the scene. <laughs> the whole thing from them taking off on Earth to them riding along the side and just seeing it beautiful and white and shiny in dock um, to them swinging around in front of it and then when it the camera switches back do you see the enterprise from the front the score hit mm -hmm. that to me was amazing that's probably my favorite part of the entire movie it's just nice. like here she is she's beautiful 
you know her, but she's a little bit new, and this is our this is what we're here for. We're here for. I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm here for the enterprise um, because I have no like I don't care about this cast. So <laughs> I'm here for the ship, and this is her in all her glory. She's brand new. Well, it's not brand new, but she's you know got some new things on her, and she's gorgeous. And yeah, it took a long time, but she's, as a proper lady should, she was being introduced in her fullest. Hmm. I like that. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from that. It was just how long it is <laughs> for me. That's, that's really what kills it because I love those shots too. Like, um, because I know in Next Gen and then Deep Space Nine, they did shots like that, where it's like, here's a nice, like, Deep Space Nine's, um, and the sweep around, like, the shots of the entire. I love that, but it's two minutes long. But, yeah, so that's that's my only thing. But I really do love that you got that out of that. That's really cool. <laughs> Like, I'm not kidding. Like, I think that's a really cool, like, I think that was the experience they were going for. Right. So, right. Uh, Carrie. Yeah. You have thoughts on the, um, <clears throat> the, on, the shuttle, on the shuttle trip to the Enterprise? Uh, well, that could have gone a lot quicker because, I mean, 23rd century at this juncture in time. Uh, Scotty mentions that um, it took 18 months to completely like refit the Enterprise. It's still the same Enterprise that Kirk has always, uh, well, always commanded on the, the five-year mission. It's just, you know- it's Bullshit, because this bridge has two doors. I, yeah, no, so the, the outside looks the same, the inside is completely different. And you'll notice, like, when you're walking through the corridors, a lot of that stuff is reused for next gen. So, like, those corridors right. they're walking down, those are next gen corridors. And right. Yeah. I mean, recycling. I mean, you got to recycle and repurpose all of that stuff. Anyway, but um, it's... I liked it. And like she was, like Mel was saying, like the score just hits you right at the right moments. And if you have a good score, it really helps the movie along. And this sure. did help. <laughs> uh, he then thanks Scotty like they had a, they were having sex in the shuttle. Like he's just like, thank you, Mr. Strange, which is weird. Um, <laughs> um, he then gets on board. Um, he goes straight to the bridge. Uh, once he gets there, there's kind of a pandemonium going on. Um, I want to take a second to talk about the redoing of the uniforms in this series. These uniforms suck. <laughs> the entire cast agrees with you. They hated them. Hated. Why were they wearing pajamas? <laughs> except for pajamas, except, yes. Except for um, uh, Sulu, who was wearing a gi. Oh right, yes, he was. So, so keep that in mind when you watch future yeah. original series films. Uh, 
that's kind of his style moving forward. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Cause you know, he's Asian. Um, <laughs> I, you know what? I kind of figured that, that's what it was. Right. Um, so once he gets on board, all of the commotion just stops, which is weird. Um, Uhura acts like she's seen a ghost. Mm-hmm. Um, Sulu's really and Chekhov are very excited, as are uh, returning Yeoman Rand. Yay! Um, Who's now in control of the transporters. I noticed. Um, <laughs> if you may have noticed, Mel, in the original, in, up to this point, Yeoman Rand's greatest claim to fame thus far is she brings the captain coffee. Um, <laughs> I, have, I have heard tell of her wondrous coffee and lunch bringing skills. Um, He's a master. Very excited to see him. Um, but Captain Decker doesn't know. Because he's in engineering. This is a command breakdown that's a problem. Because if <laughs> there's going to be a command change, the captain finds out first. Right. Like, before Kirk got there, he would have known. Right. Starfleet um, Command should have contacted Decker. Be like, hey, by the way, we're making a sh- uh, shift change. <laughs> You're out. See, I, I saw it more as um, a total Kirk superiority, I'm the man type move. He probably told um, Starfleet Command that he would inform Decker. And mm-hmm. Instead of him doing it properly, he needed the praise of the crew. So he had to go strut about the um, the ship through the corridors and then pronounce himself or come onto the bridge in dramatic fashion. Instead of sending a communique saying, hey, Decker, meet me here we need to have a conversation. It felt very much like Kurt being Kirk with his big head needing to be recognized by everyone. Which is That's another right. reason why I'm like, why does this matter? Why is he an admiral? <laughs> um, so at this point, um, Kirk goes down to engineering. We meet uh, Captain Decker, played by... Um, Stephen not Collins. A very, not a very nice person, Stephen Collins. No. Uh, he's, he's done like some in, bad things. Like in real life? Yes. Yes. Oh, I did not hear. Yeah. I When I saw him, I was distracted, and I, real, I kept having to tell myself to view it through the lens of um, objectivity and take out what I know about him as a impersonal stuff. Mm-hmm. Out of it. Okay. Yeah, he's not a good guy. Carrie, because you don't know, we will briefly touch on this. He um, molested underage girls at least three times. Oh. Yeah. Um, and never went to jail for it because they could never prove it or statute of limitations or whatever. But oh. I don't, I'm not going to get bogged down in it for now, other than you he's know. a. Wow. 
I'll research that myself later. Perfect. Um, he, so Kirk tells Decker he wants to have a conversation with him. Um, instead of having a conversation with him in a private area, he has a conversation with him in engineering. In front of everyone. <laughs> in front of everyone. Um, Mel, as you said, it's a very Kirk move. Um, basically telling him he's being demoted and he's taking over the position. Uh, Decker rightfully so rips into him for this. Um, because of the retrofits and all this other stuff, he doesn't really know the ship that well anymore. Mm -hmm. Kirk pretty much says, yeah, but that's why you're staying as my, temp as my second in command and we're going to lower your rank. Kirk is a dick. Dick That's move. Essentially, what I got from this from this scene. Yeah. Total um, dick move. It was a total dick move. Unless either of you have anything further to add to that, that's my. That was my takeaway from that. No, you you nailed it. You nailed it on that. Yeah, you you got that. It's uh his character, De Decker's character, gets absolutely shit on the entire movie by Kirk. Yeah, it's, it's, which makes when we get to it, the ending of this movie just weird and just, it, yeah. Um, so anyway, um, they turn the, so they have a meeting where they show everybody what is happening. My only takeaway from this meeting is how did they get the shot of the Klingon shit ship being destroyed by the entity on the, like how did the our federation get the shot from the back of the klingon ship as it slowly got evaporated i'm like where do you get that footage from because at this point the klingons and the federation don't like each other so it's not like they sent it to you right uh there's a space station or space station science yeah. uh place not too far from that area so, so i think um, they did pick up on the um cloud entity thing and they're trying to study it and they know that the klingons were there and got destroyed and that right. it they was were, co coming toward and the the cloud thingy is now coming toward earth yeah um, they actually um they actually cut to the inside of the station a couple times Mm -hmm. So you, so I guess, so that you would know that this station was monitoring what was going on with the. Yeah, which is how Earth finds out that it's coming, and they don't know what it wants. <laughs> the the other thing that I noted in this is um, they still haven't gotten the human to alien crew ratio just right. Um, Although they do try and apparently have a few more alien crew members, but most of the way they, they um, show that is they have weird hair and like a high forehead. Yeah. And I'm like. Yeah, by, by like, this time, yeah. by this time in the 70s with Star Wars and everything, you can totally do a ton of stuff with creature makeup. But I don't know why they didn't uh, you do see like a few like andorians in there in that crowd mm -hmm. um but then yeah like a few vulcans some andorians and uh 
the rest look like humans to me. Which, side note, um, are a lot of the Star Trek fans that helped to get a third season of the original series. They are oh. in that, they are extras in, in that, that scene. Cool. Yeah. Um, so cool. at this point, um, they're going to do, they're going to beam the rest of the officers on board. They go, uh, the transporters don't work. Uh, uh, blew up something when they were still in engineering fighting about command it yep. blew up and like oh no there's a transport mid transport and so they have to run to the transporter room yeah. where um Sonic i don't think she's called a yeoman anymore but um janice Someone rand knows. is there um trying to bring them in and it's a hot mess of epic proportions <laughs> I appreciated this scene for several reasons. Um, I enjoyed um, Rand's reaction when she goes, oh no, they're forming. Mm -hmm. Because at this point, she's aware that whatever's going to happen, like whatever they form as, they're not going to, it's not going to live at that point. Mm -hmm. um, I also appreciated that as they were forming, they did like that death keel yeah and i don't appreciate it because i needed that i appreciate it because it gave it more gravitas yeah to me um kirk then tells rand there's nothing she could do to fix it well i'm not sure how she could have fixed it being that you kicked her off the station and we're doing it yourself so I don't know. Um, he also then tells Decker that they're going to need a science officer now, and he goes, oh, well, there aren't any, and he goes, good, then you can be my first officer and the science officer. I fully expected at the end of this that Decker was going to be the science officer, the first officer, the weapons officer, and driving the ship. <laughs> <laughs> almost, just, I think, almost. It's just, it's yeah, just Shatner yeah. and Collins on the bridge, and everyone else is gone. Um, so they get the transporter fixed, replacements come in, they're told that a Lieutenant Ilea is coming, and she's Delton. Mm -hmm. At this point, I had several questions. Why did everyone on the bridge react the way they reacted? <laughs> Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't even know what information. I'm like, what? What does this mean? It's like I don't know about your planet. I don't know about your race. I I've only seen oh. her in no. this movie. That's it. When Ilea arrived on the on the bridge, was that what you were expecting? Like a bald, beautiful woman. Yeah. Was that what you were, being what you know from Star Trek later, was that what you were expecting for what was going to show up? I actually thought, hmm, yeah, pretty much. Um, I think she would look more like an earthling, an earth person, just because, um, 
the only the only um alien they have on Earth, even though he's his mom is a fox. So mm -hmm. I figured she wouldn't be too different and really utilize nature makeup in the same way as they did later at that point. So I figured it would be the bare minimum. But I figured she'd be they hadn't introduced a beautiful woman yet. And so he's a beautiful woman to be around him so that he can, you know, Kirk. So yeah, I pretty much figured that she would be a beautiful woman. Didn't expect her to be bald. Maybe right. she would have crazy hair or something, but right. yeah. Mm -hmm. I almost reacted where I'm just like, I love that their idea of the craziest way to have a woman look is have her be bald. Yeah. <laughs> um, she, the Kirk, then makes some comment about how he has every, you know, trust in her abilities. Uh, she goes, oh, my oath of celibacy is on record. I then went and looked. Uh, Delta women are basically sex slaves. Oh, I mean that's essentially what they are. They're you know they're they also, um, for lack of a better term, depending on where you look, they their pheromones make you want to have sex with them. Oh, isn't that still like the Orion slave girls, the green? It's people? a playoff of that, yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, essentially it's, yeah, they're, they're a whole thing. Uh, they've huh. also, as best as I can tell, have never really been mentioned since this moment. Nope. Um, most likely because especially now that would be a harder, I think it would be hard to do that in a way that would make it work. Um, right. so they're part of the canon, but yeah, that's essentially what they are. Um, apparently like women that go into service they're few and far between um but they have to take an oath of celibacy because they are not allowed to have uh carnal relations with any of their crew members well so, that mean, makes sense the more yeah. you know yeah. um I, I thought it was just because uh kirk's reputation had preceded him so she was putting it out there that she was not going to get involved with his him, and that he just needed to back off. <laughs> That's well, honestly what I thought. That would have been real funny. Like, 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 Hi, I'm Ilya. I am a test. <laughs> so, um, can you pass, Kirk? <laughs> so, once she's on board, everyone takes their station, and. Kirk tells Sulu to take them out. Um, I actually liked this scene more than the other one where, as you said, Mel, you had like wide shots of the ship coming out of the space dock to take off. I, I appreciated it and really enjoyed it. Um, they do this and the music, once again, is very good. It comes in right at the moment to like really push you up of what this amazing moment is. And off she goes, slowly, because they don't have warp <laughs> drive yet. Um, 
Because Kirk okay. wants to go here's, now before everything is fixed. Here, here is, I mean, my problem, my, yeah, I guess this would be my biggest problem with Kirk in this movie is his utter lack of responsibility as a captain or admiral, at, he doesn't know what's going on with the ship. He clearly didn't sit down with his um, with his officers to find out, to check with each department what's running and what's not. He's been told several times that they're in the middle of a retrofit and things are different and things are working or not working and they're trying to get them sorted out. And I get that he is trying to get to the cloud before he gets to Earth so he can save Earth. But at the same time, you can get out there and then be stranded because your ship doesn't work. And it's like, why? Who put him? Why is he in charge of anything? He's a five-year-old. <laughs> like it just it 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 it, it was very disconcerting that he would take a half-working ship out to save the day, even when several people are telling him it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Well, this is not the first time. <laughs> Don't worry. It it. Yeah. Um, also should note, uh, Decker and Ilea seem to know each other. Um, it's very reminiscent to the first time you see Riker and Troy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Where they're just kind of lovingly stare at each other from across the deck. You know, that's fine. Um, she does comment on his, on his demotion, um, which led to the conversation we talked about earlier where she says her oath of celibacy is on file. Um, anyway, oh, lest we forget. Um, also in the last group of people to beam on board is an officer who doesn't want to. Kirk goes, okay, well, I'll make him. And here comes, apparently, when Dr. McCoy retires, He's going to look like the Unabomber. <laughs> yeah. He's going to look like what? That. She said the Unabomber. He does. It's, it's... He looks like the Unabomber. Long hair, bushy beard. And you 1970s sky... V-cut shirt. You can skydive off of that collar. Oh, yeah. yeah. The gold medallion. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the hairy chest! Amazing. <laughs> so, just laying there on a bed of hair, just all seven all day. Like he was about to go out for the night and pick up some ladies with his best friend Jim Kirk. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> my exact thoughts when I but saw that. <laughs> That is the best description of that ever because I hadn't thought of that. And now that you've said it, that's all I'm thinking about. Um, so he then goes, he complains that basically Starfleet drafted him back into service. I point out that this has never been used since whatever provision they enacted. Kirk talks him into it. I'm not sure how after that conversation, because he doesn't really say anything that's that interesting. Um, mm -hmm. 
He then complains because Nurse Chapel, who was his nurse on the series, is now an, is a doctor. So now he needs to have to find a new nurse. Oh, darn. Oh, darn. Um, is there only one nurse on the ship? I guess. Because in the original series, there's only one. Okay. Yep. And that was Nurse Chapel. Now, yep. Doctor. So does um, this mean that Dr. Chapel was also demoted because Bones is back? No. Dr. Chapel's not on the ship. Yes, she is. Is she? Yeah, she's on yes. the ship. Yeah. She's on the ship. Yeah. Okay. She's there. I forgot about that. Yeah, there I don't know no, what her job is now. There was no demotion. Okay. She must have like decided to go full-fledged doctor at some point. So she's the doctor on the Enterprise now. And now here comes right. McCoy. So they're both being doctors. Well, she's okay. probably being more the doctor than he is because he's having some kind of like midlife crisis. Clearly. He also likes to yeah. loom over things. Oh, yes. Yeah. There's a lot of looming. Um, I also was amused. So as the ship is leaving, uh, McCoy shows up in his new fancy out, fancy pajama outfit. Uh, apparently, in the five minutes that he's been on the ship, he managed to shave off that giant beard that he has. <laughs> and he then looms over Kirk and everything going on. Why he's on the bridge, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, everyone says that they need to run more warp core testing before they go to work. Kirk, like a small child, goes, no, I want to go to work now. And apparently McCoy's his dad. <laughs> because McCoy says, your crew knows what they're doing, and that stops the tantrum. This is a weird dynamic that I never thought of before, but that is totally what I think it is now. <laughs> mm hmm Because we know from previous episodes that McCoy has been able to change his mind and get him to stop being Kirk. So we then cut to engineering, where it's Scotty and unnamed engineer. This is the best that we can do. Um, I found out doing research that the fact that Star Trek had multiple black officers in this episode or in this movie was still a big deal in 1979. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Absolutely. so, um, I appreciated that a lot because I mean, I never thought of it at the time. That's probably part of my white privilege coming into it but it was just like oh that's really cool i'm really glad that they have been very lavar burton has noted several times that star trek both in front of and behind the camera since the original series has been very inclusive for everybody mm -hmm. uh, where it's like oh they hire people like black people asian people you know it, if you're good, they're going to go get you because they want you to work on the product. So I still appreciate this. Um, they then go to work. Uh, a wormhole forms. Because why not? <laughs> Mel, <laughs> your facial expression tells me that you want to say something. <laughs> I, I don't, I mean, I don't really have anything to say. It's just, of course, a warm hole form, of course. 
let's throw everything in this movie. Let's get some more blah, blah. Uh, the wormhole of holes. <laughs> <laughs> the wormhole effects for me to say. The wormhole effects uh, didn't really work for me. Especially after having watched Deep Space Nine forever, I had a hard time turning my brain off of what a cool wormhole that is and what a shit one this is. <laughs> I liked it. I liked the lighting effect. The mm -hmm. only thing I had just seen, so I think it might have been the sound, their voice, the way their voices sound started actually making me a little bit queasy. I mean, it could have been both of them. But I actually really like the lighting effect. Um, I, but you know, I put it in context of 1979. In 1979, sure. that's a cool effect to oh, yeah. show that they're going through this phenomenon, um, and it's blurring and making everything sound weird, and everybody's moving in slow motion. So I actually like. I will also like to point out that apparently the only person who gets a seatbelt is the captain. You got a seatbelt? Yeah, remember when that he sits cool. there and they, they flip the little thing down? No one else gets that. Everybody else gets thrown all over the place. Oh, well, okay, so granted. later, I actually really liked the little seatbelt thing, but later, um, as the movie keeps going and they pan out um, and they do wide shots of the various um, people sitting down on the bridge, they all have it. Oh, okay. But the only one they showed in that moment was the captain. But Chekhov has it, and Ilya has it, and Hulu also has it. Ah. Fair enough. I missed that part. I just think it's weird, though, that the, he initiated his and no one else seemed to, because they got thrown all over the place. Um, it's also, so they discover that something's in the wormhole with them. Yeah, wasn't it like uh, an asteroid? Yeah, it was a rock. Um, <laughs> it was a rock. I thought it was a ship. I really so thought I. they were encountering another ship, and then it just turned out to be a rock. Yeah, because they were this freaking means, out hardcore. Due to the weird vocalization, Mel, as you pointed out, this leads to what I think is the most unintentionally hysterical line reading that Walter Koenig ever gives is Chekhov, where they get to the point where Kirk says fire phasers, Decker says no, leaps across in slow motion. I felt like I was watching the Million Dollar Man for a moment. Oh, all those weird lighting effects and stuff. Yep. He tells him to use photon torpedoes anyway, and Chekhov in that weird voice goes, photon torpedoes. Away! And I'm just like, what? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, do you have to announce it? Don't you? Can't you just press the button and then it makes a noise and everyone knows he shot them? <laughs> yeah, I think so that, I mean, that is true. It should have been he, pre he dramatically pressed the button and then you hear a noise. But I think with all the other stuff, all the other noises going on in that scene, it probably... Mm -hmm wouldn't have been uh the torpedo shooting wouldn't have been different than anything else happening that's fair so it might have been missed so you know you have to mm -hmm. have them say it um in order to actually get the fact that it happened 
Yeah. Or else, yeah, if they, had, if they had not been going through a wormhole, then of course he presses the button, they show him press the button, and then, you know, the next shot is the torpedoes falling. Whatever that, that noise is, and then them going out and blowing up a rock. So the rock explodes, the wormhole is dissipated. Apparently, all you need to disrupt a wormhole is a rock. Um, and a little torpedo this, blast, and you're fine. <laughs> at this point, uh, did they tell us how far away, they, how far they'd gone in the wormhole? Um, okay, so I watched this late last night. So I think I got done with this at about like 1.30. <laughs> in the morning so it's a little fuzzy um so, i don't i don't think, think they, they did. did no yeah, i don't think they did no it, it, and if they did then we all missed it right. well i mean there there was so much to take in so they come out of the out of the wormhole they take warp engines offline scotty goes back to figuring out the intermix issues uh, a short while later, uh, there's a ship that wants to talk. Mm. I'm confused. Um, I enjoyed the really cool model shot of the ship coming up to the ship. I thought that to the Enterprise. I thought that was a very cool shot. Uh, we then are introduced again to Spock in his slightly different pajamas. His are black. Yes. And have gold detailing on them. So he's wearing fancy pajamas. <laughs> he shows up on the bridge. Everyone is very excited to see him. Um, again, a lot of shocked faces. Mm -hmm. um, he then offers his services as science officer. Great. Um, there's some more ooing and aahing. He doesn't seem interested in any of that, which fits his character. Mm -hmm. And then he fucks off for engineering to fix the, the engine issues. Carrie, thoughts on this? Well, you had to get him on the ship somehow. Uh, you know? we, um, it wouldn't be Star Trek without Spock because Spock is the smart one. <laughs> yeah. And we need him. He seemed more aloof than he did in the series because of going through the colonar. So the colonar, what that is, it, it's a mental discipline that purges you of all of your emotions. So you become like fully Vulcan at that point. But of course, we all know that Spock is half human and... We don't, I don't really know what it would necessarily do to him if he went through the whole, actually went through the whole thing because he did stop it at like the very end because he sensed the danger that was about to happen and he was needed more on the ship than to go through the colonar process, which is fine, I guess. But I think he went through enough of it to where he's like really suppressed a lot of his emotions and feelings and it, it shows because everybody's like super excited to see him and he's just like nope 
don't have time for this. Uh, I'm going to do my sciencey thing and save us all again. <laughs> That's my take on that. Mel, how did you react to Spock's arrival on the ship? Um, like Carrie said, he seemed a lot colder um, and a lot more loose than normal, but if he had, you know, what, 95% completed the colonar process, um, that makes sense. But I just, I thought it was, it was very um, not Fox. Like, it was Fox, but also it was extra. It was, it was, for somebody who spent five years in deep space with these people, even being Vulcan, you would think he would have a little bit more warmth. But if he had gone through the purging process of purging his emotions, then yeah, he wouldn't have it. Um, so at this point, uh, they've figured it out. The ship takes off at warp two in the old style, like elongated shot where it zips off into the distance. I still really like that shot. I think it's a cool visualization of them going to warp. Um, oh, Spock also took about 37 seconds to change from his fancy pajamas into his standard shark before he went and helped Scotty. That's well, and, and let's talk about this now. The way that ranks work or what position you have on the ship makes no sense now with the sort of pajamas that everybody is wearing. You get beige and you get, what is it, like a gray-blue? Yeah, mm -hmm. almost like... And then some people had white. Like, yeah. There yeah. were some fully white cat suits and then some white shirts. It was very strange. Mm -hmm. I kept thinking that maybe the ribbon on their shoulders or the background of the the um, insignia was their department. Um, oh, it went out of my brain, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, oh, yeah. I get you. Um, yeah, yeah, we get you. Like... But it didn't seem like there was a set uniform. <laughs> it didn't seem to go. If some people didn't have a background color up on their insignia, and some people had one that didn't go with what they were doing it was very confusing it was very i i want i would like to speak to the costume designer i have questions everyone had questions everyone um, had the cast was like what the hell <laughs> uh, so there's Spe also especially uhura uh nichelle nichols she had a huge problem with the costumes and the, the lack of color because Hers was like always like the signature red, like go go dress kind of thing. Right. And she's like, Where's that? Where right. where's where's the pizzazz? Right. Right. I mean, I kind of appreciate that Next Gen brought back the go go dress. Yes. And made, made it, and made it unisex. Yes. Yes, that was my that is I mean, not to fly past this into next gen, but my out my my one outstanding memory of 
the very first episode of Next Gen is the dude walking down the corridor in the go-go dress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yep. just thinking, that's awesome. Right? <laughs> yeah. So there is a brief conversation while they're at work between Decker and Ileana about their past. Uh, again, very reminiscent to the conversation that Troy and Riker have in Next Gen, um, where they're like, oh, could you have said goodbye to me and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not sure it does the best job of conveying that they still really like each other. Um, I also think it makes Decker come off as creepy. <laughs> Well, yeah, it it might be a reaction to like the pheromones that she gives off, but who knows? No one else seems to have that reaction. I know, which is really strange. Yeah, but, but if he had we been... We expect it, though. If he had been on the planet for a significant amount of time, he could be more easily susceptible mm, to it. Good point, yeah. Because he was around it a lot. Um, I do have a question. Did we skip uh Kurt calling Decker in and asking him why he um reversed his order for the no, we're just uh, about to talk about that. Oh okay sorry. So while they're at work Kirk makes a statement, you know, all right. So Spock's off doing what he's doing. Kirk tells Decker to come with him. McCoy, because he's very entitled, goes, Oh, I'm gonna come with you. What? <laughs> Uh, so the three of them go to, I would presume, is Kirk's office or his cabin or wherever. Kirk, McCoy, and Decker? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I it's think his office. Kirk said, yeah. I think Kirk said something like his, he either said office or quarters. But I don't actually remember. So... They have a brief conversation back and forth where Kirk demands to know, because again, he's, as Mel said, he's five. Why did you countermand me? Now, on this one, I at least somewhat understand because you can't be overruling commanding officer stuff. And to me, Decker kind of seems to understand too and mm -hmm. gently explains to him that this is why, um, because he didn't know that the, due to the phase imbalances and the warp drive and they're connected to the phasers that the phasers wouldn't work. Okay. I feel like that that's again, a failure of him for not doing his research before he took over. Again, why is McCoy here? Like how, like he's dad. Does he often get to hang out when you're dressing down? Um, he has no so, sick people to take care of. So Decker leaves, um, and Kirk and McCoy start drinking or like, <laughs> uh, Spock shows up, they have a conversation, uh, where they're trying to get Spock to sit down. They're trying to get him to relax. Open back up. He's, he's not interested in any of that. Um, McCoy and Kirk are kind of dicks to him. Um, well, McCoy's always been a dick to Spock. 
Yeah, but it's yep. been with love. And this one, I think he's just a dick. Like, <laughs> Has it been with love, though? No. So, okay, there's few instances in the series where it is kind of done with love. But it's it's this rude, backhanded comments <laughs> all the time. You're like... Yeah. He calls him a green-blooded hobgoblin. Yeah. All the time. He does it all the time. I mean, I'm like, that yeah, that's, remark? that's not love. I mean, it depends on who that's you abuse. are. Yeah, it's, why doesn't he just slap okay, him across fine. the face? <laughs> um, okay, fine. So they leave. Um, at this point, um, they now have reached the energy cloud. Um, so this energy cloud is quite massive. Um, looks really cool. There's a lot going on. Um, they start scanning it. Well, or they don't scan it because what they determined was that could be identified as hostile. Mm -hmm. Spock, because apparently he's telepathically connected to this machine. <laughs> Question yes, no? Yeah. Um, so when did when did Spock become part Betazoid? So Vulcans are partially telepathic. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Because I was very confused um, when he became telepathic. Because I didn't, yeah. I clearly didn't know that was the thing. I, I will say this though, that their tel their telepathy for the most part, it's generally only used for story purposes. Yeah. Okay. So okay. it's not something that you just see all the time. It's yeah. all right. We need him to be telepathic in this episode, so he's gonna. Yeah, it's not really oh, okay. explained okay. in great detail. Uh, it's just when it's I think convenient for the storyline. And just another theory, like, I don't think, like, every Vulcan has the ability. It's, like, another discipline that they have to go through in order to get good at it. And I don't think a lot of Vulcans go through that. Okay. So he says that they've been trying to communicate, but we haven't said anything. So he magically knows how to change the communications to talk to them on their frequency because we're not technologically advanced enough to talk to them on our basic settings. Fair enough. Uh, Kirk freaks out because the, whatever it is like targets the ship and is going to blow them up. Mm -hmm. um, so he urges Spock to hurry. Spock does. And then it stops. Kirk then makes the very curious decision to fly into it. I, <laughs> I'm not on board with this decision because they don't know anything. Like you're just going entirely off of, well, hopefully it won't kill us. All right. Well, <laughs> um, so as they fly into it, the spect the uh, colors that are around them change colors from blue to pink uh, to green. 
Um, Mel, thoughts on this so far? Um, um, <laughs> um, what was your thought? What was your thought when you saw the structure inside of it? Like when you see this big structure there, what what were you thinking? I I so because I thought there was going to be a ship inside felt more organic to me mm -hmm. what was inside there and then I I was like oh they're actually inside some kind of space feature oh yeah that, that's what I was thinking like they're inside some some type of space creature they don't realize that they are in a space creature and it's going to be a big shock and when they do realize it, but I, I was trying to figure out in my head, they're in a space future, so I was trying to figure out each like section what the purpose of it would be. Mm -hmm. Carrie, um, <laughs> oh, so many thoughts on that. It was um, <laughs> dirty thoughts. <laughs> Well, there's like an aperture that just kind of like just opens up, you know. That kind of looks like an anus. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. I wasn't gonna say it, but yes, it looked like an anus. The mysterious objects butthole. <laughs> we will explore. It's like no, yeah. no, stop. Oh dear God, that that's... it's an exit only. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, it's a giant, it's a giant space anus. <laughs> to be fair, that would have been better than the reveal we get at the end. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh my god. Um Okay, did we get did we skip over has the lightning thing come no, in the ship that's yet? Nice. Okay. That's god, that's so weird. So, a weird <sighs> ball of like that projects light out of it appears on the bridge. Uh, apparently no one is concerned about this because they kind of just let it do what it wants. Mm -hmm. um, it then uses its lightning fingers to lightning finger all the information out of the computer. Uh, but the lightning fingers don't make any sense because both Decker and Spock walk into them multiple times to do stuff and nothing happens to them. Why? Um, Spock destroys the console. He then gets attacked afterwards in right. some of the worst acting I've ever seen, mm -hmm. where he gets shocked and it's just like, yep. <laughs> well, Chekhov gets uh, shocked too. Chekhov gets shocked, but he just falls on the ground. Yeah. Um, we then see some more of the shocking acting from Ileana. As it moves, so it ignores everyone else, goes straight to her for reasons. And you also get more of the, you know, <laughs> just. <laughs> I mean, shocked. I'm, in, I'm being shocked. Oh no. Ah, ah. <laughs> she then vanishes and her tricorder yep. falls on the floor, which wasn't open. Nope. No one seems, well, Decker. 
who told him not to fly into it says, this is unreasonable risk. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. No one else seems that concerned that they just took someone. Uh, Kirk was a little concerned because he picked up the tricorder and just had this look on his face like, oh, crap, what have I done? The hot chick is gone. I didn't That's even get to bang her yet. Uh, exactly. A hot Forbidden. Can I, point, can I point out my actual favorite part of this scene? Yes. Sure. It is the first time that I saw an original series um, security officer. And he is wearing a um, Thatcher's chest plate and some kind of helmet. Mm-hmm. And I thought, for a second, I had lost my mind. And then I realized he was security, and I think that is the greatest thing I've ever seen on Star Trek. <laughs> like, I, 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 why didn't they forward that outfit into the rest of the series? This, that would have been fantastic. You will be um, disappointed. I want, Worf, I want Worf in one of those. I want him in a helmet and a chest plate. Yes, all, all well, of the time. Yes. They kind of brought those outfits back for Parisi Squares. No, no, it's not the same. It's not, not the same. same. I, want when they, I want when they say security to engineering that three guys run with chest plates and helmets and phasers out ready to do whatever they're going to do. That's fair. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just visualizing it in my head. Like, that'd be sweet. No, you will be disappointed when you see the original series because those security officers don't exist in the original series. Bummer. Are they only in this movie? No, they're in the Dressed like that? Yeah. Aren't they in the next one? They they might be in Wrath of Khan, but after that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the... Yeah, the um, designer did one thing right in this movie. Mm-hmm. I will say this: the since the cast made such a stink about the wardrobe, uh, it was severely changed for the, all the rest of the movies. Because apparently, it was like they were like basic onesie outfits, and it was really difficult to get in and out of them. Because I guess there's a zipper in the back, and everyone had to get assistance to get out of these. Um, jumpsuits the other comment I want to make is um, in this whole sequence so right before the energy ball shows up on the ship the computer by several seconds says that there's an intruder alert before it actually has intruded like there's Mm -hmm. no I'm just like this doesn't make any sense they're not it's not even here I mean, it's nice that the computer gave them a warning. Hey, by the way, an intruder is totally going <laughs> to show up here and is going to do weird stuff. Delayed reaction. It's probably one of those things, other things that needed to be fixed before they left Space Dock. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Ileana's gone. Um, Decker is very upset. Um, Ileana then appears again. 
But it's not her. <laughs> but they don't know that. Right. Right. Uh, the only real difference now is I believe when she originally showed up, she was naked. And she had a little yeah. white ball in her neck, glowing mm -hmm. white orb of whatever. I mean, and the little glowing thing never goes away. So I'm just like, um, I think it's like a recording device, maybe. So she's a robot, apparently. Yeah. Um, and she says she's been sent um, by the entity who calls itself V'ger. I will say when I saw this the first time, this immediately gave away the ending to me and I was really angry that I'd spent two hours watching this film. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I felt at the end of it too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, at the end I was like, oh, what? <laughs> and she's here to steady the carbon life forms on the ship. Correct. However, what they found is that Decker and Ilian still have a connection. Because cool. this unit, this um, she calls herself a like carbon-based unit or whatever. Uh, she still she has Ilia's memories, right. but she's right. fully like a, a robot basically. But she still has like the memories buried deep in there, which is why she knows who everybody is on on board. But, uh, so. Yeah. They then figure this out rather quickly, and um, Kirk assigns him the job of extracting information from the doppelganger. Fair enough. He's like, okay, I'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Spock, at this point, is also going through an emotional meltdown of some sort and is going to apparently takes it upon himself to go uh deeper into the space anus <gasps> on an yes. unauthorized spacewalk and uh, wants to <laughs> mind meld with it right i would like to point out he uh there's the scene where he's where spock is going to go in to get the spacesuit but he has to vulcan pinch somebody uh, but that long shot of that, of like the person that he's going to pinch mm -hmm. was in one of those beige outfits and the lighting made it look like he was totally naked. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what is happening? Why is he naked and working? <laughs> this console, what's happening? And then when oh. Spock comes in closer, then the lighting kind of changes. And it's like, oh, okay, never mind. He's in the hideous outfit. It's fine. Okay. Pinch away. <laughs> so uh, we get a behind Spock shot of him in his space pack and he flies in, the space anus opens and closes behind him. Okay. Um, so that's what's going on for right now. Mel, up to this point, had you lost the will to watch this film? <laughs> No, because <laughs> I was still in the thinking it was a space creature. So I was really looking forward to the reveal. Okay. I was really um, looking forward to them getting inside and like 
to reference another um, sci-fi classic. I thought Spock was about to have an abyss moment where Ed Harris goes inside the spaceship and he ends up like talking to the aliens in a way. So I thought Spock was about to have that type of moment. So I was really intrigued at this point of what was going to happen with Spock. Um, but yeah, so at this point, I hadn't decided to turn it off and, and, and message you saying I give up. <laughs> so Spock comes back. Uh, he reveals to everyone that what they're in is V'ger itself, mm -hmm. a non-biological living machine, which is a very interesting idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at this point, um, Kirk, Spock. Decker and Ilion then take a space they walk through what I could only describe as just like this flat metal um, walkway with just like spikes sticking out of it mm -hmm. McCoy is there too okay um, daddy has to look after his kid Yeah. So here it comes. <laughs> so they get to the middle of everything, and there is something that looks suspiciously like the Voyager spacecraft. And then they talk about it, and lo and fucking behold, it's Voyager 6, an Earth space probe believed to be lost to a black hole. Mm-hmm. They also then find out that it was damaged. It was found by a ra alien race of living machines. They interpreted all of its programming instructions to learn all that can be learned and returned that information to its creator. NASA. <laughs> yep, the machines upgraded the probe to fulfill its mission and on its journey, the probe gathered so much knowledge, it achieved sentience. Shocker. <laughs> Spock realized that Voyagers lack or lacks the ability to give itself purpose other than its original mission. Since apparently it knows everything. That's fair enough. Um, so apparently at this point, it finds its existence meaningless, so it just murders people. Murder bot. Um, so, Vizier makes a, not a request, a demand um, that the creator has to come and in person to finish the sequence. Everyone, because they're not stupid, realize humans are the creator. Decker offers himself to V'ger and merges with Ileana in this weird shot where their heads are just there and then they just come to get in and it's like, all right. Yeah. All right. Creating a new life form. 
that then just vanishes into space. But they got all the data, apparently. Uh, yes. Mel, I would like to know <laughs> your opinion of this ending sequence. I was really disappointed that it was this <laughs> lost satellite thing from NASA. I honestly thought, I mean, I had been promised something and then they didn't give it to me. Mm -hmm. I would have much rather there be this ancient civilization there mm. in the middle yeah. instead of they fixed it and sent it back. I would have rather some of them hopped on board and been like, yo, we're going to go back to the creator with this thing and interact. Um, but that's not what we got. We got an old satellite that crashed and the interesting part of the story was just just there as a plot device and then moved on that that's when I was like okay I'm, I'm, I'm done when when I'm not sure who did it but when they wiped the nameplate and it said Voyager yeah Kirk did that yeah that was the moment I was like okay I'm done no 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 this is not, I did not spend two hours for this reveal. This is not what I wanted. <laughs> I was also mad that, um, another costume choice, that Ilya, am I saying her name right? I think, uh, like in the movie, they say, um, Ilya. 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 Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm mad that when she came back and they, and she, you know, because she comes back naked and then she puts clothes on. I'm not mad at the dress. I'm mad at the fact that she's in like five inch stilettos. Ah, uh, yes. Movie. Yes, the clear hooker shoes. <laughs> yes, she is in clear hooker shoes for the rest of the movie. And that just is not practical. No, especially walking it. over that rough terrain. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. I get that the, the actress who played the role was a model. Mm -hmm. And so that whole outfit was to show off her legs and her model-esque features but a, and, and very, very Star Trek of the beautiful woman in very little clothing. But like, ooh, she, even as a robot, five-inch heels on a starship, not, not really a thing. No. Not really a thing. Not at all. But yeah, I, um, at this point, I, I was very disappointed, and I actually don't even remember. I remember Decker saying that he would he would stay, um, but I don't really remember anything else. <laughs> I was disappointed. I mean, yeah, um, Carrie. Yeah, it it was disappointing to find out that it was just a oh, like almost three hundred year old satellite. That was just meant to collect data within Earth's solar system, probably. But 
got veered off course somehow and then all of a sudden became this this sentient thing uh and my <laughs> so when uh decker merges that whole like lighting sequence of them like coming apart or merging together however it totally reminded me of like you know the opening of a uh, quantum leap mm. yeah. Oh, yeah 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 remember that yeah i totally got that vibe and then they just and then the rest of the crew just accepted it and we're like okay cool well this is over and done now and earth is safe and let's go get back on the enterprise and go off on our next adventure and we don't even know if we'll see the this decker ilea merging alien thing ever again i don't know what to call it now <laughs> uh, yeah i don't they didn't name it it's no it's a it's a sentient orb of light yeah um so the orb of light fucks off um Kirk and Spock and McCoy have a brief conversation about everything that they've seen um, and how they're going to go through all the information, um, blah, blah, blah. And then Kirk goes, and we're off to a new adventure, essentially. As you both have already pointed out, this is the most anticlimactic ending that I have seen in a Star Trek film in a good while. Um, it drove me bananas. Um, I already had pacing issues with this and with how the ending came across it just doesn't work um, mm -hmm. but so yeah that's the end of the movie um, we've gotten there I'm we did it yeah. <laughs> uh, Carrie I would like you to give me your full thoughts on this film and your rating out of 10 all right Okay, so like I said, I watched this kind of late last night. So I was probably about halfway through, I was starting to fall asleep, but I, I managed to stay awake long enough to watch it all the way through. In the very beginning, uh, I, I felt like it went at a good pace and things we're going fine. And this, at first I was like, oh, this isn't too bad. And then the issues with Kirk and him just acting like a kid and whining until he got his ship back that, that I didn't like that, um, how, how that was portrayed. And I didn't really like the Decker character either. But I didn't appreciate, like, his character was just pretty much there to get shit on, like, the entire, and, and sacrificed. I felt like he got sacrificed at the end. Even though he's like, oh, I'm willing to do it. I'm like, no, no, we need you to want to do it so we can leave. So thanks for sacrificing yourself. Uh... I I enjoyed seeing everybody in the cast. I feel I feel like I wanted to get more from you know Uhura, Sulu and and Chekhov. I 
don't, they just didn't get enough on camera lines and dialogue and story of their own. I would have loved to see that. Um, and then rating for this movie, I would give it about a four and a half. It's definitely not a favorite of the original series movies. Uh, but I mean, it is what it is and it did how it did back then. And even the original cast was really scared about how this was going to be perceived, but they ended up making five more movies. So, and Star Trek is what it is now. So I think we still have to be very thankful for the original cast and and the fans for really rallying uh, behind them to even get a third season and then the movies. Because I don't think we would have the Star Trek that we would now if the fans didn't want to see more from this original cast. So thank you for doing it. Right. I still give it a four and a half. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mel. Okay. Um, as this is my, besides Fox Brain, my first real venture with the original cast. Um, it was interesting, but um, it, it was a lot of Kirk being Kirk. What actually, after sleeping on it and thinking about the movie, my biggest takeaway is there were, there were a lot of plot holes. Um, it really feels like Paramount went to Roddenberry and said, hey, we're going to give you a movie. And he went to his desk, pulled out a script that he never got to use, dusted it off, added a bunch of fluff to make it two hours, and gave it to Paramount. And they were like, okay, cool, let's do this but it didn't it didn't translate into a good movie it just felt like a very long episode of tv um i think it probably would have worked as an episode of tv but it didn't work as a movie for me um i one of the biggest plot holes for me was um i would have liked to get more of ilia's species background because when it comes because she does become such a uh, crucial figure in the story why was she picked to have this role why wish out of everybody who was on the bridge it couldn't have just been because she's a woman there were other women on the bridge so it had to be something about her species well it would have been nice to know what differentiates her species from everybody else, you know, and if that was the reason why she could have been picked for it. Um, and, you know, it was just overall disappointing. It didn't go in with it with um, a lot of hope. It gave me a lot of hope throughout the movie and then just kind of squashed it all. So overall, it was disappointing. I would have liked a little bit more. Um, it did, as far as pacing goes, though, 
felt like the ending was so rushed. And yes, if we had cut down on the opening sequence with the Klingon and the introduction or the reintroduction of the Enterprise, the pacing at the end could have been better um, and not as rushed. But, you know, they were trying to build plot and then just trying to get it over with at the end. So, you know, first time movie, they were trying to get it done, trying to capitalize on this new space popularity. I would give it a three. Okay. <laughs> I'm not I'm not making that noise because I disagree with you. I'm just more just no. like Ooh. Yeah. I give yeah, I give it a three because I if it hadn't had gotten my hopes up with the possibility of going and seeing this or interacting with this this uh non human non carbon humanoid race of ancient I probably wouldn't have been as disappointed. But I was like, oh we're gonna get a new a new uh alien species here. Ooh, this is cool. And then they're like, mm, no, not really. <laughs> that that was a big disappointment. Um so yeah, I can't yeah, it's a three. Okay. Um my thoughts on this, um, much like with a lot of the original series, I'm not entirely sure why Uhura was in this movie. Like, um, I don't, did she have 10 lines in this movie? She had lines. Yeah, I know, but did she have more than 10? I think so. Because it wasn't a lot. And the second half of this movie, she vanishes. She's just not there. Um, this... <sighs> The payoff is stupid. It's just stupid. And Mel, as you said, all the fun, interesting stuff is off camera. Like, show me a cut, a quick cut of it falling into, it doesn't even have to be the part where it fell into a black hole. Show me the quick cut of when the sentient machines found it. Yeah. I mean, that would have been useful. Um, Captain Decker is a throwaway character. I just I just never cared about him as a character. Ilea, I wasn't given a reason to. Um, like, Ilea's character development to me is Decker and I boned. What did they? What's that? But did they really? I don't know. You're led to believe that they did based off of what they're, they're acting. Um, but it's like, all right, well, that's not really, that doesn't really work for me. Um, but so, um, Kirk comes off as a dick. Um, McCoy is his dad. Spock is doing Spock things. Um, and Sulu and Chekhov didn't really have anything to do either. Um, but you know, they, it was nice that they were there. Um, but yeah, overall, this just wasn't very good. Um, I realized that they were trying to accomplish some deep philosophical conversations about stuff and they just don't get there. Um, so for me, 
I'm going to be a little kinder. I'm going to give it a five. Because um, the effects are good for the 70s. They're very good visual effects. Um, also, doing research for this, um, part of the reason the clothes were designed the way they were is that Gene Roddenberry thought that the future of clothes were just going to be like disposable clothes. So well, like you wear them huh. once and they just get rid of them. Yeah, well. Right. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. It's it's not great. It's not it's not the worst of the films um, for me. But yeah, it's I'm I'm surprised they managed to get to a second one based off of this. I think the cast was surprised too. Right? Yeah. Um, Mel, did you have any further questions about this film that you needed answered before we go? Um, no, I don't. I, all of the questions that I had were were answered throughout. Um, my big my my biggest question was Fox's newfound telepathy, but clearly that is a plot choice, plot device that they use. So that I was not aware of. So they don't use it yeah. often. <laughs> yeah, but no, I don't. I don't have any. I mean, I'm sure as uh, we make our way through the series, I will have questions. There will be things that pop up. I will say this. Um, nurse Doctor Chapel. I had no idea was uh. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Magil. Deanna, thank you. I was going to say Deanna Troy's mom. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah. had, I had I had no idea that that was her. And um, after listening to one of the pods uh, the other day where she's heavily involved, I think it was the episode where they go to find her long lost fiance. Yeah. I looked her up and I was like, who is this? character and I saw that it that it was her and I was pleasantly surprised because I actually really liked her so but yeah I have no questions I'm just glad I don't have to watch that movie yes <laughs> not unless you want to tune into next week's episode where we review Star Trek the motion picture again <laughs> <laughs> Are we in a time loop? Oh, uh, I'm starting to feel a scratchy throat. <laughs> um, but yeah, so turn in next week where we will go back to the series. Uh, I believe that the next episode is called Conscious of a of King. King. Of yep. the King. Um, yeah, so we will catch you up with you next time. Um, and this has been Haley. Keep your failing frequencies open. Have a great day. Good night. <laughs>